Hello! Welcome to Foss and Crafts. A podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host, Morgan. And my co-host, Christine. So, you were just complaining before we started this episode about something in particular. What was that thing you were complaining about? I played too many video games today and now my wrists hurt. Ah, okay. Well, um, that doesn't sound too serious, right? It doesn't sound too serious, but it may be too serious. Well, so your wrist's hurting if you are a computing professional. can be very serious. And also if you're even a crafting professional, it yeah. can be very serious. Today we're talking about repetitive strain injuries, or RSIs. Which are not just wrist issues. It can also yeah. be your elbow, it can be all sorts of areas of your upper body, it can even be lower parts of your lower body. So we are not giving medical advice on this podcast episode. That's right. I'm a doctor, but I'm not that kind of doctor. So why are we talking about this if we are not medical professionals? Well, because we've both experienced it, and it's been important, significant, and sometimes even severe in our lives, right? Yeah. And because if you don't know about it, you might not take it seriously, or you might not know what to do if something like this happens. So we can kind of talk about the Venn diagram of FOSS and crafts and how they overlap. And when we're talking about repetitive strain injuries, this is a thing that is very common in both the FOSS world and in all types of crafts. Because repetitive strain injuries happen from repetitive overuse and repetitive motions. So if you are interested in FOSS and crafts, there's a very decent chance you're going to experience this at some point. I guess also there's one variant of this that people really know, right? Which is carpal tunnel syndrome. Mm-hmm. And and I think that the phrase repetitive strain injury has become more popular, but when we first had to start learning about this because of the serious issues happening to me. I actually got a book called It's Not Carpal Tunnel Syndrome uh, about repetitive strain injuries because there were so few resources on the market and there were so few people talking about kind of the broader range of issues. So it could be carpal tunnel syndrome if you're hitting wrist pains, but why doesn't that necessarily cover everything? Repetitive strain injuries happen... Basically, anytime you have a kind of consistent repetitive motion and overuse of whatever appendage you're using for that repetitive motion. so And they can happen everywhere. Carpal tunnel yeah. syndrome is one particular kind yeah. of RSI. So it's, I mean, they're mostly in your joints because, you know, motion. But yeah. yeah, it can happen in your ankles, your knees, your wrists, your elbows, your neck. And the term is broad, and it can range from most commonly, basically your musculoskeletal system, but it can be nerve issue type things. But nerve issue type things are actually overdiagnosed sometimes, and it's more common to have musculoskeletal type issues that are causing RSI. Mm -hmm. And that's good news in some ways, because it's kind of more treatable. So I think that... Our exposure to the idea of repetitive strain injuries started with Christine. So do you want to tell your story? Yeah, so I, I mean, the first time I heard about repetitive strain injuries was I had heard about, um, I was 
reading and learning about free and open source software history, right? And so that meant reading about um, the story of some famous hackers, including Richard Stallman, who famously experienced so such severe wrist injuries that at one point he had to hire somebody else to type into Emacs for him. And, you know, it, it kind of became this weird myth to me, like that there were like these super hacker type people out there. And we've had conversations about the risks of putting people on pedestals. And actually, this can is one of those types of risks that is, you know, in some ways I had actually said like, well, I'm not a super hacker type person. I realize that some people listening to this show might now have that impression of me, maybe, I don't know. But I but I, I used to think I'm not, and I still think I'm not a super hacker type person. And there are all these other people out there who are so much more impressive than me. And therefore, you know, it was kind of like, well, it's, it's something that probably won't happen to me because I'm not that impressive, which is like a weird way of like, kind of like, I think, I don't know what the right word to use is, but kind of like making it like it's, this. it's mythologizing it. Yeah, it's mythologizing it. Like, you're it. so hardcore of a hacker that, that like, you, get... you hacked long enough your wrists were injured. Right. And truth be told, that can, that is very likely to happen if you are that kind of hardcore hacker, right? But Especially if you're someone who programs for their job and also programs for hobby. Right. So the first Libre Planet I ever went to, um, there was, and that was, like, I had only been to a couple of free and open source software conferences, and this was... You know, about, I guess it was in 2009, so a, a frighteningly long time ago at the point in time that we're talking about this. And I had just started working at Creative Commons, so I was very excited, like, oh, you know, I'm really getting to do free and open source software type things. I feel like my career is moving in a really interesting place. And I was very excited about it. And then I went to this conference, and um, there were lightning talks. And in the lightning talks, this programmer went up there and said, you know, hey, you know, repetitive in- strain injuries, they're serious. They can happen to everybody in this room. They can happen to you. And then they wrote this URL on the board, if I remember correctly, which I then typed in and bookmarked and what like kind of rolled my eyes at, which was called, if your wrists hurt, you must be a programmer, which you've rolled your eyes at for a different reason, which is... Well, because we've already outlined it. Like, anyone can get repetitive strain injuries that ha- that engages in activities that have repetitive motion but it's a it was a great article that was very helpful in kind of it was the first article i had really seen that was very comprehensive about this but i was kind of you know still like oh well this is interesting and maybe someday in the future i'll have to worry about this but certainly not anytime soon and so i came back from that trip and like a week later i ended up having a really strange injury like most people repetitive strain injuries kind of come on gradually christine had a very dramatic and traumatic event that led to it well well wait a minute repetitive strain injuries can happen from dramatic and traumatic events yes. very frequently so if you have one actually that is a very likely way to be able to push you over the edge which is what happened with me and we know several people where that type of yeah. thing has happened so there's so there's definitely the this possibility where you have a workflow and it works just enough and then one thing tweaking it then like that sets the stress level on your body over this is a kind of one in a series of many ridiculous christine stories so about christine injuring herself yes uh, or, or nearly, almost or nearly injuring myself in this particular case i okay brief content warning where you can choose to pause and skip over the, the next 30 seconds because i am about to describe an injury 
This is Future Morgan. The story ended up taking about two minutes, so I'm going to leave a good chunk of white space here. And then I will also leave a good chunk of white space at the end of the story, and you can join again at around the 10 minute mark. So I was trying to peel a acorn squash with a Y-shaped peeler because I was like, this is going to be way easier than me having to like cut it off with a knife. And it was kind of not moving very well. And then I went, and I suddenly looked down and there was this diagonal slice across my thumb where I just cut off a chunk of my thumb, like a a pretty significant chunk. Like about a quarter inch of your thumb. Yeah, like just disappeared. And like, and I like looked into the trash can and there was just this chunk of flesh that was in there. And I was like, oh shoot. And it started bleeding very severely. And so... I then, and this was back in 2009, so I had my N900 phone, and I was trying to get a hold of Morgan, who you were at work in. And I worked in a skyscraper in Chicago, and so I had no cell phone reception. So I I actually tried sending you a message, and then I didn't get any, I tried calling you, I didn't get a response, and then I went next door, knocked on the neighbor's uh, door, and said, hey, do you think you'd be able to drive me into the hospital and they say wait what why and i was like oh well and then they looked at him they're like oh my god and then i'm like hold on let me see if i can message morgan and i'm like so morgan's gonna wonder where i am so so i I get an im on my work computer that says cut off the tip of my thumb headed to er yeah and and that that was it that was it because (laughs) uh yeah because i was typing and Without as many words in it, because I was just trying to type quickly with one thumb, right? So cut off tip of thumb, heading to ER, right? Heading to hospital or whatever. And so they took me to the hospital. This is probably the end of the content gory warning part of it. So you eventually... So, came to the hospital. Yeah, I was the manager of a frame shop, and I was the only person there, so I couldn't, like, leave. So um, I finally got off of work and managed to get a hold of our neighbors, who told me where Christine was. And I got to the emergency room, and I asked where my wife was, and the charge nurse gave me general directions and I started going down this hallway and I knew exactly where Christine was because I heard two people having a conversation about Linux in the emergency room. I might have even been talking about the history of free and open source software systems uh, and the role in which the kernel played and uh, and user land space played. Yeah, definitely. And there was a very interested nurse just like wrapping up your thumb. They said they were going to go home and figure out if they could install this on their computer. They seemed genuinely excited, or they were just good, very good at faking it. <laughs> they said that they were really interested in technology, and they were asking me how to install it on their computer. But that's yeah. an aside. Right? Anyway. We got back home, and I start typing on my computer. My thumb is extremely bandaged. It takes about a, two months to heal, I think. But by it the, did heal. Christine's got pretty normal looking thumbs now. It actually healed pretty much all the way. That part healed. Right. But what happened was since my thumb was so completely bandaged, I couldn't press alt on the keyboard anymore so that I can do, you know, alt X to do Emacs things or other alt things. So I started using the other alt on the keyboard and started kind of stretching my wrist in this kind of unusual way to do it. 
You're using your pinky that you don't normally use. Uh, I think it was my thumb and I was kind of rotating it inward. Uh, so the first thing was I was hitting pain in one of my wrists because it was just painful to hit the alt. And then I tried switching it to the other wrist and then that started hurting in the RSI type way. And then I tried switching it back and then within just a couple of days, my pain exploded so severely that like if I touched a keyboard, it made me cry. Like it was like actually that painful. And luckily at this point, I called up my boss and I thankfully I had heard that presentation at Libre Planet. And the biggest thing that they said amongst all their advice was if this happens to you, do not brush it off. Take it seriously. Take time off of work if you need to do whatever you can to address the issue. And so thankfully, I had heard that advice, even though I had prior to that thought it wasn't going to affect me. And then I called up my boss and told him about it. And shout out to Nathan Yergler, who sometimes listens to our podcast. And it was like just the best boss, really, uh, when I was at Creative Commons. And because he had experienced some RSI. He had experienced RSI stuff. And actually, I asked him, how long did it take you to clear for your stuff to clear up? And he said about a month. And so I was kind of hoping that it would be like that. It took about a year and a half for it to clear up for me. And it never fully cleared up Mm -hmm. as in like this type of stuff can come back and and such. But, you know, he said, okay, well, let's take an extended weekend. I think for like the next, he said, just take the next three days off of work and don't even worry about it. Like, don't, don't worry about, you know, we consider that medical compensation. And then like for the next couple of weeks, you can just come in, you know, half time or whatever, and then we'll start easing you back in. Mm-hmm. So uh, after that extended weekend, Christine kind of ramped back it up to halftime. That's so right. about like an hour the first day, two hours the day after that. And then I got up to halftime and then I started ramping back up to full time and then I was at full time. And that was really hard. And I and I was doing everything I could to try to read up, research and make things better and try to reduce the amount of time and stuff that I spent on my wrists. And it was hard because it felt like things were getting better so shockingly slowly or maybe not at all. And I thought my career was over at that point. I was like, I, I'm I'm screwed. You know, this is the only thing I think I, you know, I don't know how what kind of things I know how to do that don't involve my wrists, right? Mm-hmm. There are fairly few occupations that don't involve your wrists at all. That's true. And and so, yeah, a lot of that time was also just spent crying. And also watching television for the first time because I basically yeah. never watched television. Like Christine had watched cartoons as a kid. And that's And it. that's all. But yeah, no, that's the first time I ever watched Star Trek. It's because I was like, well, I've got to watch something that has a whole lot of something. But the pain was so bad at that point um, when it first happened is that I couldn't even hold up a book. Yeah. So as I said, I was working at a frame shop and... Christine was taking this time off of work and we weren't sure if she was going to be able to go back to work at that point. So we were like, let's not spend money because we were just barely out of college at that point. So I made Christine a a book holder as an accessibility device out of scraps of plexiglass from the frame shop so that she could just prop this thing in her lap and hold open the book. And all she had to do was switch the page. Yep. This was... Before e-readers or tablets were really. Yeah. So, and that helped a lot. But, you know, I then spent like the next year and a half 
doing everything I could to try to reduce pain, to try to reduce everything. And it actually held off the amount of time it probably would have taken for me to start the Media Goblin project because my wrists were in so much pain. I wanted to actually start that project much sooner, but I felt like I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the when we... But it, it was really for about a year and a half, I couldn't touch a computer at all mm-hmm. when I got off of work. Yeah. And even for after that, I could still only touch the computer very for very, very brief increments uh, outside of work for mm-hmm. like a couple of years. Yeah. So um, th- now let's get to your story and then we'll actually talk about how how we actually have dealt with things and how things have gotten better mm-hmm. and so on. So my RSI story is less about programming. Uh, I, as you know, if you've listened to several episodes of our podcast about it, have been a graduate student for like most of my adult life. And the times that I started having wrist pain were the busy times during graduate school. So finals weeks, or when I was writing my thesis for my master's program, or studying and taking my comprehensive exams, and then like periodically whenever I had dissertation deadlines. So I was not able to just stop and take a break at those points because the reason that my wrists were so bad is because I couldn't stop. This is in contrast to Christine's story where there wasn't like a traumatic injury that made me adjust the way I was doing things and therefore it happened. It was just, I had my normal amount of computer usage, which my body could handle, and then I had finals week. Right. And you had a big ramp up of work, basically. So mine was a matter of volume as opposed to um, changing a standard workflow. So now maybe we've terrified you about, you know, the the possibility of repetitive strain injuries and them destroying your your work and your hobbies and everything else like that. And first of all, the first thing we want to say is things can get better, but the most important thing to do is to take, take it seriously. seriously. So now we're going to talk about how to deal with RSI problems. And the first step is to just listen to your body. Your body is in pain because something is not great. So powering through is not typically the best solution to pain. Well, it and if you try powering through sufficiently, you might find that things stop working, mm-hmm. right? And this has actually happened to a lot of people who have had enough wrist pain and then thought that, well, it's just pain. What What's the worst that could happen? So because we are friends with a lot of people in the FOSS world and we are friends with a lot of people who do crafts and um, are musicians and stuff like that, we know a lot of people who have had RSI things. So if you're one of our friends and you hear your story in here, I apologize. Or it might be someone else's story that has similar things because we're just talking from the context of our own experiences and the people that we know. And so the next thing is you should see a doctor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we're definitely not going to be the podcast that tells you not to go to a doctor. But you should be prepared for most doctors to not be helpful. Yeah, your general practitioner probably does not have 
that much specialized experience with uh, repetitive strain injuries. I mean, and like my experience going to a doctor about my RSI was they said one thing which was true and helpful, which was that it was from overuse. And then they told me, and you know, this is because, you know, you're just, you know, if you lose some weight, you won't have these problems anymore. As if Christine was out there walking on her hands and putting all that weight. (laughs) And this was actually, this was actually one of those points where like, I was actually like, I was lighter than where I am now. Like it's true that so a lot of the stuff can be deferred pain where the pain can come from different parts. And it is true that the way that you carry yourself and your weight can make a big difference. And, and there is a lot of like arm bones connected to the shoulder bone issues with RSI. Yeah, but it wasn't helpful. And we know plenty of people who, you know, were much thinner and have had those types of problems. And in general, there's just often you're you might need to seek out a specialist. And even if you seek out a specialist, you probably need to do your own research. So I do know people who I know somebody who went to the Mayo Clinic and we actually gave this person a lot of the same advice that we're going to talk about on here, right? And they did everything that their medical expenses would cover through their healthcare program but wouldn't buy themselves a keyboard and it turned out like they have had a lot of trouble getting better and they got what was theoretically the best credible care in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to do your own research in conjunction with the professional research that's out there because And advocate for yourself. And advocate for yourself. And there some of the specialists you may find may actually be specialists that your general practitioner is not aware of. Mm-hmm. Right. So we think that all of that's important and useful, but it's not probably going to actually be a magical solution to the problem. You just don't go to the doctor and they just hand you a cure your RSI pill and then everything goes away, right? And again, one of the reasons you should go to the doctor is because there are certain kinds of repetitive strain injuries that may require medical intervention. So carpal tunnel, for example, sometimes can be treated with surgery. And that surgery is actually very controversial itself. And if you are looking at getting that surgery, you should take a look at how it is done and what the what the consequences are and just be very And how well many times that, that specific doctor has done that specific yeah. procedure. All of the things that you should do before having a surgery in general. Yeah. I'm not advocating for it, but different types of injuries are going to obviously have different types of treatment. Yeah. So one thing that you probably want to look at in some form is a is some I put this under therapies because all of these things end with therapy. So the one that worked for Christine was trigger point therapy. You could mm-hmm. also do occupational therapy or physical therapy and all of these these types of therapies are going to focus on exercises and stretches and ways to um, relieve muscle pain and muscle strain and stress. Yeah, especially as in terms of applying pressure and stuff like that. Well, and then there's also massage therapy too. With therapeutic massage and trigger point therapy are directly interrelated. And the research on some of these things is actually kind of spotty in like, I mean, very literally, it's kind of spotty as in terms of like, there's not enough medical understanding and i get very skeptical when it gets into kind of pseudosciencey type territory but a lot of the stuff has been found to be very effective and a lot of the stuff also you should talk to people who have gone through it and what helped them because mm-hmm. there's there's not enough studies on some of these things um 
But anyway, see what helps. But also friends and family who are willing to help with massaging and et cetera Mm -hmm. can also help. And there's also um, tools you can get that can help do this type of therapy, right? Yep. So that's definitely something to look into. Now, those are the kind of like, you're going to talk to a professional things. The rest of these are things that you can do yourself to help improve your setups. Mm -hmm. The only real way to treat uh, RSI is to stop doing whatever is causing the muscle strain. Or at least stop enough where it can heal. Which is really not feasible advice for many people. Like, it's hard to say, oh, typing is causing you this pain. Just stop typing until it stops. Which, again, for my case was during finals week when I had three seminar papers due. So I could not stop. But what you can do is try to mitigate the amount of damage that's happening. So build in breaks to your schedule. So we used to use a program called WorkRave, and there are other programs like this out there where it's a program on your computer that will tell you it's been this amount of time since you stopped and stood up and walked away. Or it's been this amount of time so you should focus your eyes at a different point than your computer screen. And some of them have like little stretches built in too. So just something that will remind you to not be in that specific position doing that specific motion. Right. And along the lines of those stretches and kind of tying between the previous part about therapy and this part, there are also some useful stretches that you can do before work. Mm -hmm. Um, We will link some of them in the show notes that I found very helpful when I was having the most severe RSI stuff. And also just, I think it's a good idea in general, but it's easy to lose the habit of it. It's a good idea. Think about what you are doing with programming as basically being a marathon, mm-hmm. right? Which means you need breaks and you also need to get up the same way that athletes stretch before they, you know, run a marathon or do some sort of physical endurance. It's helpful to get stretching in yourself, mm-hmm. right? And as I said earlier, there's a whole lot of, you know, the arm bones connected to the shoulder bone, etc. kind of deferred situations here. So... I haven't seen a doctor about the repetitive strain injuries, though I have discussed it with my physical therapists because I have a whole lot of physical issues that are kind of interconnected. So I will, you know, on bad days, take breaks from work and just do some ball exercises because it's really my core muscles that are causing the initial thing and then it's radiating outward. Next We are briefly going to talk about braces, which we're going to return to this topic later in more detail. Some sort of a combination of wrist support and compression is helpful, and we will talk about the nuance and variations of wrist braces later. And also how many of the ones that are available on the market are actually not helpful and actually can make the situation worse Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why we're putting out the free software thing right Mm -hmm. you know which is does not come with a medical warranty right but um we hope can be helpful to some people yeah so wrist braces in some manner um can be helpful you should not wear them both during the day and at night you should choose whether or not it's helpful to do it while you're working or to do it at night when you're sleeping if you're the type of person that balls up your fist really tight Mm -hmm. But you probably don't want to do both so that you don't atrophy your 
your wrists, basically. Yeah. And there's other accommodations that you can do, such as the book holder that I made for Christine, so that you can mitigate the damage that you're doing at times that you don't need to be at a computer. Mm-hmm. And when you are at a computer, it's really important to find a computing setup that works for you and your body and your pain. Mm-hmm. So the biggest one that I think you'll see people highlight for good reason is get a good keyboard, mm-hmm. right? Get a good keyboard and it should probably be a split keyboard and one that's intentionally designed to be ergonomic. So Christine and I both have Kinesis brand uh, keyboards, but they're different ones because we have different needs. Right. And I know people who have like, it's like Meltron or something like that, I think. But there's like, there are other ones out there. There have been ones that were around for a long time. And nowadays, so many people are into mechanical keyboards. When when I first got the Kinesis, it was, that was like one of the only ones you could find. It Mm -hmm. was like basically the cheaper, and it was not cheap, (laughs) of the keyboards of that type but nowadays like mechanical keyboards are like hot shit so you can get them in a bunch of places but having them be split is really important because that whole thing of take your wrists and push them together so that your thumbs are touching and look at the angle that your wrists are at and the angle that your elbow is at yeah so first of all you're scrunching up your whole upper body and you're forcing that whole pipeline of like veins and nerves and everything that goes through the bottom of your wrists to through this really awkward and uncomfortable position that you cannot sustain for long periods of time. And the bottom of your wrist may or may not be resting on the top of your desk or the edge of your keyboard as well, which further compresses all of those veins and nerves and stuff like that. Yeah, so speaking of keyboard things... Laptop keyboards, typical laptop keyboards, are basically wrist-murdering devices. And we do not recommend that you use one of those without wrist braces if you have a repetitive strain injury. And if you can, getting a portable ergonomic keyboard option might be great. But admittedly, I don't do that. I just Mm -hmm. wear wrist braces. That's the main time I still wear wrist braces is when I'm on my laptop. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, if I'm on my laptop, I'm assuming I have to use repetitive strain injury gloves. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, spending the money for a good keyboard setup, it is worth the money. Think of it this way. You are a professional. You know, you are a, you know, or if you're even if you're not a professional, your ability to use your wrists is probably essential to what you want to be able to do with your life. Mm-hmm. In if you invest in any other sort of tools in your life, getting a good keyboard should be sensible. Right? Like it should be high priority in your life. And if your work can compensate to get it, take advantage of that. If your work doesn't, do it yourself and then pester your work to start accommodating those types of things. Or to reimburse you. And Christine is still using that same keyboard that she got in 2009. So if you invest in a good quality keyboard, then it can last you. Now, when we say split keyboard, Christine and I both have Kinesis keyboards. Christine's is one giant hunk of plastic. One giant hunk of plastic with about, what, six inches between the left set of keys and the right set of keys? I don't know how far apart it is. It's it's not quite six inches, but it is further apart. Depends on where you start measuring it on it, right? Mm-hmm. So, But it's it's got a gap in the middle. And the thumbs actually can do more things than just pressing a space bar. They can yeah. do like a several 
buttons that are there. So And there's like, several buttons that are there that were intended for you to map. But it's one hunk of plastic. Mm-hmm. Whereas mine is literally split. I have two separate chunks of keyboard for the left and the right. And the reason that I do that is because I have a bad back. So I can't sit in one position for the whole workday a lot of times. So I have two different chairs that I can sit between and basically two different setups. So We didn't put this on here, but actually you should talk about your two different chair setups. Because first of all, okay, let's we didn't put chair on here and I don't know why we didn't. Yeah, that chairs should be are, on this list. Chairs are important, right? Like chairs are really important. If you are sitting, chairs are really important. If you are standing and doing a standing desk, the way you're standing is also really important. And also you it's if you're doing a standing desk type thing, you probably actually want to switch between standing and sitting alternately because people also get injuries from standing too much for the long mm-hmm. period of time. One way or another, whatever position you're in, you should get support for. Yeah. Right? And if, like me, you have trouble maintaining one position for long periods of time, which, again, is one of the reasons why repetitive strain injuries can happen. So basically, I have a... um. I use it for work, so it sounds silly calling it this, but I have a gamer chair. We both have gamer chairs because they are affordable, ergonomic chairs. Well, I mean, affordable should be in air quotes. All of this, like, we should acknowledge the fact that we are coming from a position where we were able to invest the money in yeah. good keyboards and good chairs. And that didn't all happen at once. I mean, the chairs happened within the last two years. Let's put it this way. Chairs can get really expensive, especially in the ergonomic category. But these quote-unquote gamer chairs are actually quite comfortable, designed for people who are going to put their butts in them for a long-ass period of time, right? And they are actually were better than many of the more expensive ergonomic chairs that we were looking at out there. Mm-hmm. It's, and the more professional. Yeah, so it's worth getting a good chair because your posture is going to matter and it's going to be part of your positioning and reducing strain. Yeah, so that's one of my setups. And sitting in that chair, my desk setup looks like a standard desk setup, basically. Chair, yep. desk, two keyboard, monitor, well, two monitors. And then I also have like an armchair that's sitting next to my desk. and It's off to the side. It's off to the side. And I can sit on that armchair facing my desk and I have the larger monitor on a turntable so that I can turn it. And if I need to be reclining, I can sit in that position. But if I'm sitting in that position, my arm, my hands need to be further apart because of basically the dynamics of that chair. J- Jamie Zawinski, or how do you pronounce that? JWZ, actually also I think used the same kind of keyboard that you use mm-hmm. and i think that's actually why i linked it to you originally was because you wanted the split mm-hmm. thing but he actually had his attached to the arms of the armchair so that his arms would be like sitting on the side mm-hmm. and he would just type with his arm sitting on the armrests but i think he doesn't do that anymore but so basically find what works for you and then your mouse is also going to be a big thing i just use a normal mouse like, yeah. I haven't customized that, but they have a lot more ergonomic. And a lot of people swear by certain types of things, especially like the ball rolling type things. Mm-hmm. You know, what works for you, you know, might work for you. We, I, I do have one that's slightly more ergonomic than the average mouse. Like, it has mm-hmm. a little bit of a curve, but it's not like... It's got a, like the dent for your thumb. It's got the dent for my thumb. Yeah. 
but I also just don't use the mouse that much because I'm a very keyboard intensive mm-hmm. person. But the specialized piece of equipment that you have, partially so that you didn't have to use the mouse. Yeah, I haven't. Much. So I haven't used this in quite a while. I Th- should. This was what you were using when you were in the trenches of like. Yeah, I used this. foot pedals actually, and this might sound ridiculous. Foot pedals? What? It Christine? looked ridiculous. Christine is ridiculous, right? You know, and like it did it... actually create a RSI problem in your ankles for a little while. Well, that's because I I had to figure out how to use them right. So the mm-hmm. first thing I did is I used them the way that they were intended to, which was like a gas pedal. Yeah, like a gas pedal, and that actually hurt. Ended up hurting my ankles then. Then I figured out what I could do. So Kinesis also sold these foot pedals, and so I used them for control and alt. So I was really using my keyboard like it was like it was like I was playing an organ, right? Mm -hmm. But first of all, that might sound ridiculous. Like, oh, my God, Christine's so ridiculous. But think about it. That's an input device that you have that you're probably not using. It will reduce the amount of cording you're doing. Mm -hmm. It will while still allowing you to have an extremely expressive amount of power when your ability to get ideas down, be able to do operations efficiently and stuff like that can dramatically affect your productivity as a programmer without any sacrifice there. What I had to do to make it work, actually, is I actually turned them the opposite direction where they were supposed to go, stacked a couple of books up, and I would press them gently with the back of my heel. Mm -hmm. So... And I've so then it was more like tapping your foot as opposed yeah, to tapping pressing the back of my a, foot. a gas pedal. Yeah, it was just kind of like I would just lightly tap the back of my foot and it would press control alt. And actually that setup was great. The main reason I haven't pulled it out again is that I destroyed the books by having that. And I've meant to make a more permanent structure. And maybe we should no, actually make that. No, I can actually make that. Yeah, you could you. totally make that. We've we got should... a whole bunch of scrap wood. We should totally house. make that. That would be great. I would really like that back. And then we could just cover it in a little bit of fabric and then it wouldn't be... Mm-hmm. Um, Oh my god, we should do this. Okay, so we just live did that. That's not something that has been planned previously. Yeah. I I have thought many times I should get Morgan to help me with this because I'm not good with that type of thing. That and... is within my wheelhouse. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. foot pedals uh, might sound ridiculous, but it can be useful. And that is that is a case where if you where you have to kind of like mess around with it because using it as intended did cause a different RSI problem for the same reasons that you got the initial thing where you change your workflow due to an injury. Mm-hmm. But in this t- case, it's using your ankles in a way that you didn't normally use them. But it was awesome. When I ended up figuring out that structure, it worked so great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that there's actually, there's probably actually a really worthwhile and powerful open hardware design waiting out here, which is like mm-hmm. the programmer foot pedals. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure tapping the back of your foot is the best way to do it. Because mm-hmm. yeah. then your foot is also pretty much level. It's just a slight movement. Yeah. Uh, so there's also um, like some software accommodations you can do. Yes. The, the closest you can get to the, well, just don't type for a while until your wrists are healed. You can get the, the, the wetware version of things and the meatware version and hire a person. Yeah, so you can hire someone to type for you. But that is also... But a now level you, of privilege that a lot of people do not have. And now your wage compensation has to be good enough. It has to compensate you and the person who is typing for you. Yep. Alternately, you can do the software version of that where you use some sort of voice recognition speech-to-text program, which might involve some editing. 
to fix things, but it's probably less typing than just typing. And actually, Lisp turns out to both for people who are typing impaired and also people who are visually impaired. In both cases, Lisp is the best language because it's possible to very easily structurally edit. And there are a couple of there's a really interesting video from over a decade ago by somebody at from PyCon explaining how they modified Emacs along with a proprietary voice recognition program to be able to do editing through talking. And it, it was like speaking into like this like alien language, like the, it almost sounded like, cause it was actually just small emits of like, e, ooh, ah, what, what, you know, like would like navigate and do these types of commands, but you can totally program using your voice. Right? Yeah. Well, and with lisps, you can say, like, left parents, right parents. Yeah, well, except it's just basically, instead of saying left parent, right parent, it was just like, you know, like, it was just like short, you know, utterances. Problem was, back then, when I was looking at this, and I really wanted to do this, was that there was no really good free and open source software solution I could find that would work. There was Pocket Sphinx, which was very hard to get working and never worked well enough for me to be able to get it off the ground. It might be different now that... There is that the Mozilla thing that came out of Mozilla that now has that other organization that was pit that was kind of continuing it. Um, I would be really interested if anybody would like to pick up the torch again of trying to like get Emacs to work mm-hmm. with voice recognition. I would use that. Or if anyone has and would like to tell us about it, we would like to hear that. Right. The last one is finding a text editor setup and typing style that work for you to mitigate the amount of damage you're doing now we just did an episode recently where we opened the episode with christine saying remap your caps lock to control so that it's like older cooler keyboards and so that you don't give yourself the emacs claw before you um and you might say okay this is an emacs person problem you know this is christine and rms who are getting these typing injuries it's not going to happen to me Right. So when I first got mine, I was using LibreOffice. Right. So this can happen to anybody. It can happen no matter what your editor is. And it can it can happen no matter what you're typing, because I was typing, you know, seminar papers for grad school. I was not programming. Now, it is true that cording, which is what you do in Emacs, can make things much worse. It won't be the case if you're using foot pedals, actually, because then you've completely distributed that to your feed. But if you're using keyboard cording, that is actually harder on the wrist. And you might say, well, let's just use Vi and Vim things. Except reaching to hit the escape thing also does a very similar thing. Like that constant movement of that type of pattern also does it. And also, I mentioned my friend who had very serious RSI things. They had actually got their similar story was very similar to mine. In fact, I had just told them it was right after I got my RSI stuff and I, and they said, and I'm like, this thing happened to me. And they're like, haha, that's funny. Well, actually, I just hurt my thumb the other day because I was uh, doing some home repair and I smashed it with a hammer. And I said, like, you know, stop working, right? You know, stop working right now. Like, go blah, blah, blah. And they're like, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not some crazy blah, 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 like list packer who does all these types of things. And they ended up having very serious issues, too. And they use Notepad++. So, like, that's a much more basic editor. It's not kind of wacky in the Vim and Emacs type thing where you're doing all these out of over the top keyboard shortcut type things. So it doesn't matter what you use. You can get that. But some types of typing styles can make things worse. Mm-hmm. So basically this advice 
a lot of it boils down to minimize the damage and minimize your wrist usage when possible. Yeah. And also realize that it's not just your wrist. It's also like the whole upper body area. Mm -hmm. Like when you do trigger point therapy, you might find it's coming from other areas. Uh, But you're trying to basically just minimize the types of movements that are creating these problems, right? Yep. And that might... Types of movements, types of postures. We already kind of said this, but it's worth repeating again, is that you really need to advocate for yourself. So your doctors may not be knowledgeable about repetitive strain injuries. Your HR department at work might not care that your wrists hurt. So you're going to need to advocate for yourself with your doctors, with your work, with yourself and the amount that you can actually do so that you can have a sustainable plan as opposed to trying to push through. Because if you're just trying to push through, when are you pushing through till and like when is the stop point for that and when is your body going to just stop working we said to take it seriously immediately so what do you do immediately the first thing you want to do is cold therapy as in terms of when you have a fresh injury apply ice right apply cold and then alternate cold and heat typically this is the advice i've gotten from medical professionals again we are not medical professionals Mm -hmm. right But also my understanding is that ice tends to be useful after an initial injury. And then as something that continues through the healing process, heat is better, but you still actually kind of want to alternate between them at times. Mm -hmm. The other important thing that's related to this, because this is like when you initially get the injury, is taking anti-inflammatories is useful, right? Which are Mm -hmm. often also painkillers. And that can actually make a big difference because if you are hitting an issue where there is swelling and stuff like that, it can reduce the amount of damage that's being done by reducing the swelling. But as we well know, overuse of anti-inflammatories, you don't want to do this for too long. Mm -hmm. It's easy to become reliant on it and it's easy for them to stop being effective. Yep. Especially if you have something that's an ongoing problem. The other thing is to minimize your wrist use, which means that you may have to make sacrifices. Well, I already mentioned that Media Goblin and all all my free and open source software hobby stuff got put off for a couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. So that that was one thing, unfortunately, I had to do initially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I typically do crafts as my way to wind down, especially when I'm stressed out, but... When I started having wrist problems because I was doing, I was overusing my wrists for my schoolwork, that meant that I couldn't do crafts at the end of the day because I had already used up the amount of wrist usage I had mm-hmm. earlier in the day. And I actually had to give up video games for about a decade. I would sometimes play roguelikes and get hooked on them and play them for very long periods of time. Although I had actually put something in my Bash RC that said, for the sake of your wrists, you should stop playing this game. And then I would just work around it and ignore that alias and just run it from its path anyway. Because I... So this is what I was talking about when I was saying advocating for yourself to yourself. Right. Um, But actually, I stopped playing most video games. And this is admittedly acknowledging advocating for something that's proprietary. But... 
I'm happy that I've been able to play video games again because a friend of mine who also has had repetitive strain injury said, oh, the, the Switch Joy-Cons have been the first thing that I've been able to I've been able to play video games with where I can play them for extended periods of time and it doesn't hurt my wrist. And that's been true for me also. And that's actually because you're not squishing your hands together to use a single controller. You're actually able to separate them and put your hands wherever, Mm -hmm. right? um, Although I will say that is the game system I was using today and now my wrists hurt because I did it too long. Yeah, so (laughs) everything can end up hurting your wrists and I have hurt my wrists while playing the Switch as well. You know... That's to say, I didn't have to give it up forever. It turns mm-hmm. out there were other options. It's just yeah. I eventually had to find them. And I mean, we could probably go on for hours about all of the things that you may have to give up in order to rest your wrists. So, like, we know a lot of people who are musicians who had to stop playing the piano or guitar, guitar or whatever instrument they play because a lot of musicians end up with repetitive strain injuries. But you also might be able to do these things, but just do them in moderation, right? If you yeah. just don't aren't doing it every evening, right? Or you're carefully selecting which things you... So we've been trying to do this without, without it, but we should probably just explain spoon theory. So basically the idea behind spoon theory is imagine that, you know, each unit of energy you have is a spoon. That's literally literally how this came about. As somebody was who had lupus was describing to her friends, like while they were at like a restaurant at, at or a something. diner, yeah, and, and just grabbed a handful of spoons. They were like, "Why? Why can't you come and hang out with us anymore? Right? Like, why do you? Why is it so rare for you to hang out with us?" Yeah. So, um, so imagine that each unit of energy you have in the day is a spoon, and a person who does not have any physical disabilities may have more spoons and someone who does have physical disabilities may have fewer spoons to start their day with right and each one of those things you're using you're using up a spoon and you're basically and you're and so eventually you're all out of spoons right so that's that's where this this phrase comes from and it's to help understand that there are particular situations where people have to basically budget for what kind of things they're going to be able to handle whether that's emotional or physical or whatever Mm -hmm. and certainly with having repetitive strain injuries i've had to learn to be able to do that type of thing but it has eventually meant not having to give things up it's also sometimes like okay in the evening i'm not going to end up doing this kind of project but on the weekend i might yeah or on the weekend you're not going to do any programming including programming for fun so that you can play video games and different kinds of activities that might use your wrists or whatever you have injured using them in different ways mm-hmm. might be okay, right? Like I'm able to typically cook without that affecting my wrist too much. Yeah. But other things like scrubbing surfaces is just death for my wrists. So I'm just going to cap this section off by saying, obviously we're doing a podcast called Foss and Crafts and we're doing Hack and Crafts where you see us doing, you know, digital artwork or knitting or whatever craft we're doing that week if you attend those things so i have not had to give up crafts overall because of this thing and i haven't had to give up floss over wall or crafts either right you know like so the sacrifices you make don't need to be permanent sacrifices and the way that you should look at it is it's better to not do any crafting for that period of time when your rsi problems are at a crux 
than to try and push through it so that you're not giving up your hobbies then, but potentially cause more damage along the line that will make you get, have to give up your hobbies long term. Basically, your body does have an incredible ability to heal, right? But it takes a long time to heal. And if you don't take it seriously when an injury occurs, you are greatly increasing the the chances that you're not going to have as strong of a recovery or that it's going to take much longer, right? Mm-hmm. But and it is possible to do long-term damage by trying to push through. It's extremely likely to have long-term damage by trying to push through. And even with all that type of stuff, it can take a... Even if you are trying very hard, and I tried everything, and I did eventually get to a point where actually my life is quite normal now, but even then, it really took a decade for life to feel fully normal again, right? And these days, my life feels fairly normal through a combination of all of that stuff and also learning to deal with things, right? Mm -hmm. But it took about two years... For me to feel like I had everything back again and about a decade for everything to feel like it, I'm really back at the capacity where I was before all these things happened. Before you decided to use a Y peeler to peel a squash. Which I will never do again. Uh, Highly recommend that you do not use a potato peeler to peel a squash. Not an acorn squash. Butternut squash, maybe. (laughs) Definitely not a ridgy ass acorn squash bad idea anyway so there's hope this is not meant to be doom and gloom and again we are not medical professionals so take this with a grain of salt that this is our personal experiences and based off of conversations that we've had amongst our peer group and with the medical professionals that we consulted with And everyone's body is differently. I mean, my body is different than most bodies, which is why I saw a different type of therapist than Christine saw. Yeah. So now, from a free culture perspective, but jumping into the theme of free software licenses, which, you know, typically say it's as is, there's a non-warranty, blah, 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 right? Now we are going to get to the pun, free soft. Where, thank you, Kat Walsh, for this pun, you have a free soft wearable pattern. That's if you, you look at the picture that's the top of this episode, mm-hmm. you'll see it right there, right? So yep. please explain to us what this is. This is a big contribution. So, and what what's the why, the how, and, and everything about these free software braces? So basically, there are a lot of commercially available wrist braces out there. And Christine and I, between the two of us, have probably tried, what, like, maybe 15 different types? We've definitely tried a lot. We've tried most of the ones that were available when we were specifically looking. And a lot of them seem limited in a lot of ways. So Some of them make things worse. Yeah, so a lot of the commercially available wrist braces that you'll find are intended for if you sprained your wrist so the intention is to immobilize your wrist so those are the kind that have like a metal plate in there to stabilize your wrist but if it's immobilized huh that sounds like you shouldn't be using it when you have that for the most part right or be very limited 
Certainly not a programmer's marathon level of activity while using such a thing. Yeah, so if you do have a fresh repetitive strain injury and you are taking your long weekend off where you're not touching a computer, that type of race might be helpful for immobilizing your wrist while you're not using them. Mm -hmm. But if you try and type while wearing that restrictive of a brace, it can actually make things worse. Yeah, so I found that those metal plates really dug into my wrist and just the general shape of those braces, like they helped a little bit initially and then they they got really grody and kind of gross and also just stopped working effectively. There's also the type of gloves that you'll more typically find at like craft stores. So these ones are basically just like a compression slip glove. So it's, you know, spandex that does a little bit of compression on your hands, but it has no support for your wrists. And that's because these are mostly made for people who are doing hand stitching or knitting or crocheting. And those tasks, your hands are basically just like up in the air, like doing your project, right? Whereas if you're wearing them because you're typing, then you want extra padding on the bottom of your wrists because you're wrist might be leaning on a desk or on your keyboard. That kind is is good if what you're looking for is mainly compression. But what we found we needed for RSI problems is something that's basically like those slip compression gloves, but added padding. We found two types that worked. One that Christine really likes And I also really like that one. And then another one that I like for driving better than uh, that one. So basically... Driving is another activity that can mess up your wrists if you do it for like marathon periods of time. Well, and if you're driving, like say you have a job that involves a lot of driving, then you might end up with repetitive strain injuries in both your wrists and your ankle. I have some that I like for typing, which basically are the pattern that you'll see on our website that I made. It's a compression slip glove that has two strips of padding that are about three quarters of an inch to an inch apart. They're basically two foamy thick lines that run down the middle of where your wrist uh, goes to the top through through the padding on the underside of the glove. Which is in my opinion, ideal for typing. They're awesome, right? They So there was this company that sold these and we basically, I bought like something like 10 of them or something like that at one point. And just, well, it was 10 of them, but they didn't come in pairs. You had to buy them individually. Yeah, so it was basically like five, five pairs. And I basically used them for 15 years and like went through all of them. The company, I was afraid this would happen someday company went out of business and they stopped selling these things and you couldn't get them anymore. And so the ones that I had became so tattered, someone mistook the all of the fraying white elastic, elastic that was pointing out of the side of it. They're like, that's a really nice lace pattern on the side of your glove. And I'm like, <laughs> that is not a lace pattern on the side of my glove. That's a bunch of elastic sticking out of the edge of it. But that's because they were the only ones that, that worked, right? And And we haven't been able to find another commercially available pair of RSI gloves that fit that. Which, it might be out there, and we just haven't found it. The other style that I like for driving, because those two parallel lines go all the way to, like, top of the brace to the bottom of the brace, 
So when you're driving, you want the steering wheel to basically fit between your thumb and your fingers, right? So having that line go basically between your thumb and fingers, kind of that padding is a little bit more in the way than useful. So I found another one that has kind of a crescent shape that goes on the heel of your palm. It's better for driving, but the ones that work for typing worked really well for both of us, but they stopped making them, and... And I, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, developed an allergy to synthetic fabrics, which means for the last couple of years, if I've had RSI problems... Which you were finishing re- your dissertation. Which you'll recall, I was finishing my dissertation, so that means I did. It got to the point where I had to consciously make the decision as to whether I would just work through the RSI pain or intentionally give myself a allergic reaction, because all commercially available RSI gloves that I have found and. Like I said, we've probably tried about 15 different types of RSI gloves from different brands. All of them were made out of synthetic fabrics. I have not been able to find a single commercially available RSI glove that I wouldn't have an allergic reaction to. So, you what did you do? You, you took <laughs> I, things into your own hands, for your own hands. Yeah. So I made a pattern that was based off of the one style that Christine wanted to wear, and I figured out how to make it so that there was a layer on the inside that's actually touching my skin that is cotton, and I won't have an allergic reaction to, and then the exterior layer is still spandex because you kind of need the polyester material if you want the compression. Which is a... So the cotton thing is a, is an enhancement that... So this is a free software pattern. We're releasing it under CC BY or CC BY SA. I'm not sure. CC BY SA. Yeah. And then it, and, or, and or you're releasing it under yeah. since it's your work. And there's basically two variations of it. The one that I made for myself involves these two layers that are separate um, fabrics. And then the one that I made for Christine, and I also made a pair for um, one of our friends who is also currently finishing their PhD and therefore having some RSI problems. And and had a big old driving trip recently. And had a and had a road trip. So that one instead of having two layers of separate fabric, it's just one piece of fabric folded over on itself of the spandex material. So you can find that free software pattern linked on in the show notes. And I tried to make this as accessible as possible so that people could make them. So what I used for the padding on these ones was actually a mouse, mouse pad. pad. Mouse pad. And this is the first time in my life I've ever bought a mouse pad because there are no conferences and, well, there are some conferences in person, but I'm not going to them. So I don't have conference swag mouse pads <laughs> at my... At my fingertips. So I went out and bought some mouse pads that I cut up for this. And I have an idea on how to make the kind of crescent-shaped ones. I mean, I could make that out of the mouse pad too, but it would be kind of hard to get clean lines cutting it with a exacto knife. 
But I'm thinking of using, of making a version of these with the um, kind of grippy pads that you can get to put in the heels of your shoe if your shoes are just like a little bit too big or if the heels of your shoes are rubbing wrong against your feet. So you did say that this probably requires a serger, right? Which not everybody has. Yeah, that is the main thing. So I used a serger for this because sergers are fancier and also more expensive uh, types of sewing machines that use multiple threads and the seam ends up stretchier. So it's the kind of seam that you'll find on like your t-shirts that are commercially made and stuff like that. You could probably do this with a regular sewing machine and a zigzag stitch, but I don't know if it would be as secure. Mm. And the reason you want something to be you know, to have a seam that is stretchy is because that's the point of these gloves, right? As compression gloves, they're going to stretch and mold to your wrist. So if you have a straight seam, that might not work that well. So the the pattern is available. Anybody can download and use it. Mm-hmm. So this is a very much so FOSS and crafts thing. It's yeah. a craft thing to help enable uh, FOSS developers and also other people. Yeah. Also, ironically, um, this project was not great for my wrists to make because there are parts of the sewing on this that had to be done by hand because basically it's a tube of, I think it's like two and three quarters inches at the top and bottom, which is too small to fit on most domestic sewing machines. So, so, so some irony occurred. Basically. Yeah, so I had to I had to do some hand stitching on that, and hand stitching is a thing that my wrists do not like right now. Oh well, irony of ironies, but long term payoff. Yeah. Um. So I think this episode has gone a bit long, but this is an important topic. So hopefully you enjoyed it, got something out of it. If you make any of these free software RSI gloves, please let us know. We'd be very interested. Especially if you make variations on my pattern, because this is something. I actually sat down during a hack and craft and figured this out. And I am not a professional seamstress or, as we've said multiple times in the episode, but doesn't hurt to say one more time, I am also not a medical professional. So if you find ways to improve upon this pattern, definitely please share. Let us know. And finally, I think we've gotten through all the Patreon supporters who have listed themselves as a tier in the last episode. So if you would like to appear on the credits here, you can donate to our Patreon account and we will list you here if you select a tier. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're already donating, you can select a tier and we will list you in a future episode. So for today, we're just going to do a general blanket thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Yeah. And I guess that's it. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christine Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christine Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC0 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, 
or you can email us, podcast at fossilandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community on hash fossilandcrafts on irc.libera.chat. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash fossandcrafts. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free. And stay crafty. Speaking of wrists, Morgan often comments that I'm very expressive in like typing, like like talking and explaining with my hands. But Morgan is literally, literally for a audio only podcast pointing doing detailed explanations of where like pretty much the seams would be on these things the padding well you like can that. see it yeah i can see it i know what you're talking about already anyway all right please continue anyway so so that kind 